1: this is Talking Flutes. I'm Claire Southworth. Today I'm chatting to one of the most respected teachers here in the UK, Carolyn Kelly. And what's lovely, Carolyn, is that you've travelled down from London to Hove and we're sitting here in my sitting room, surrounded by dogs. How lovely to see you. I'm very pleased to be here. <laughs> now, we've met a few times over the years, dating back to the International Summer School in Ramsgate. Just tell us a bit about your career. How did it all start? Okay, I was a pianist. A grade seven
0: or eight pianist had lessons in Wimbledon with a very good flute teacher who said to me when I was about 16, had you ever considered going to music college? And in those days, I wasn't really sure what music college meant or consisted of. So she got me lessons with a clarinetist. And he was really pleased with my progress, because I could sight-read anything, but he hadn't taught me the correct embouchure, being a clarinetist. So I had to go from a very droopy one. When I went to Guildhall, I had to then spend a year doing long notes till I got the embouchure right. However, there was a friend of mine that was having lessons with Wib, and she just happened to say one day, you should go down to Canterbury to hear Marcel Moyes. I've never heard of Marcel Moyes. I was very much a second flute player. Mm-hmm. And she said, just don't attempt to play. Just do <laughs> <try> and absorb. <laughs> go and listen. Yes, which I did. And I hmm. absolutely soaked it up. I've got notebooks still that I refer to. And the first thing I heard coming out of a practice room was the... Dr. La Hungarian fantasy. Mm -hmm. It sort of stopped me in my tracks. And then I heard some wonderful French flute music and attending the classes was just something out of this world. And I sat there absorbing it all, writing copious notes. And I got back to my then half a dozen flute pupils, which I had. And I just thought, this is what I've got to do. This is how you teach the flute. I didn't question it, I I just thought, I've got to
1: do it and they've got to do it correctly. Was that a decision that then you were moving from piano to flute at that time? Because I was first studying piano. Yeah.
0: Mm. I was very passionate, I fell in love with the flute down in in Ramsgate, uh, which came after Canterbury. Yeah. I was so passionate about it, but the piano sort of didn't take a back step because it was always useful for accompanying pupils in lessons, exams or festivals. But I just was, as I said before, just passionate about getting it correct from the beginning. So the piano was always there and it was so useful. And it took me a while to realise that not all instrumental teachers play the piano as well. So it's always been in my life. Lucky you. Well, I then. started very late. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. Well, I started the piano when I was ten, and I didn't start the flute until I was about fifteen. Wow, well, it's quite late. Because my piano teacher had said, "Had I thought of going to music college?" And then she got me the clarinet teacher, etc. So then I did go to the Guildhall.
1: But that piano training would have set you up. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yes, in every way. Well, I have a similar experience in terms of I went a little bit later than you to Canterbury and and then on to Ramsgate. Like you, I I made copious notes, was terrified to play, although I did obviously eventually play, Mm. and I lost my notebooks. And you're sitting here with your lovely notebooks with all your notes from all those years ago. How fantastic. Well, you should write a book. I might do that. You should put them in a book. It'd be fantastic. I
0: hmm. think I might do that, Claire, because this one goes back to 87. I'm not sure
1: if that was my first
0: trip down to Canterbury.
1: It wouldn't be. It would be It would be in the 70s. Oh, yeah. What a shame. So the 70s. You'd have gone there because you went there when Moyes was going. Yes. Which was about 72 or so, something like that. Oh, yes. Because I didn't go until about 75. Okay. And then it was Wibb and then Geoffrey came and then Peter Lucas Graf came. Yes. Well, the brilliant thing about those
0: times there were there'd be a big class and a sort of open forum questions... And somebody would stand up if Jimmy had been playing yeah. and asked, so what did he attribute his wonderful sound? Always remember the words, well, 30-minute sonority exercises a day. Things like that stayed in my mind. Yeah. And I remember Whip doing the uh, doing a class, and it was a year, funnily enough, that my husband had come down with me, and Wib said, anybody got any favourites they want me to play? So my husband said, Poulant Sonata? And he was really pleased with himself about that. And he played it. And that was just the wonderful memories of those years. And I think that stayed with me. To go back to your original question, mm. I just loved taking all that back to feed to my pupils. Yeah. I never sort of questioned why, how I was doing it until you invited me to do this podcast. It's made me think. Because I have had some nice comments on the way. And I've often thought, is it because I play the piano in the lessons? And then I suddenly realised those words that my friend had said to me, you should go down to Canterbury and hear Marcel Moyes. It wasn't just him, of course. It was hearing the other wonderful players. Yeah. Making friends. Yeah. And then two years at Ramsgate. And I look back and think about people like Steena Wilson.
1: Yeah. Can I name drop? Yes, absolutely. Name drop away. I mean... Just let me put things into context. Yeah. You've been one of the most successful teachers over the last 20 years or 30 years. You know, in all my years sitting on the audition panel for the Royal Academy, your students were by far the most accomplished and knowledgeable. Gosh. It's so happy to hear. Actually. It was phenomenal. You were doing something that was so successful that very few other teachers were managing to do. So it's lovely to think that it started off from the International Summer School, which started so many of us off. Yes. It was a, it was the only summer school going. Yes. So what and, I used to do, sorry to
0: interrupt you, yeah. I used to think, I've got to get those pupils down there, you know, when they were about 16 or 17, perhaps done their grade eight or were considering music college. Mm. And I knew once they went down there and came back, they would be, what's the word? Um, they would have caught the bug. Yeah. And they were sort of set up then.
1: Yeah. Some went on to music college. Yeah. Oh, nice. It it was confusing for some people, but you'd have sort of maybe three masterclasses going on. Mm. Um, And you'd hear different things in each class. And sometimes it was contradictory. So, for example, I remember doing a class with Wib. I was playing something with a lot of double tonguing. Yeah. And he said, "It's it's not as good as it should be. How do you practice it? And I'd come through the why. Training, yes. Which was you only practice double tonguing quickly because cut is a reflex of tu. so you just practice it fast. And Whip said, "Well, you should practice it slow." So we did slow double tonguing exercises because, of course, the cut is a different; it's further back in your mouth, so it needs a bit more action than the tuck. Oh, cool. So he was talking about you go t and then you throw the cut out so it sounds at the same same time. Yes. We spent about half an hour on slow double tang exercises and he also talked about practicing kucka on its own. Yes. So did that. Mm. And then I went to a Geoffrey Gilbert class and he said, Don't practice ku k- on its own. It has no meaning and, and it's no help to you. And I thought, oh, right. I've had three cl- I've had three classes with three different things. So what do you do? You try everything. Yes. And I, I think that's interesting. I think it's what people did, that they would go and they would hear yes. bits of wisdom from everybody. Yes. The and try it with you. See what worked. With, yes. See what worked for you. Yes. Amazing. And then there'd be vibrato. Huh. Ha. That was um, always well, that's
0: controversial. controversial. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well,
0: because I only started off with Ava Williams at hmm. the Guildhall Hall. Well, I started off, she had put a dip in because she was playing in the Icelandic Symphony Orchestra.
1: Yeah. And I thought that
0: was really interesting. Yeah. Um, this was all very new to me, remember. And I really, really wish that I'd had, we can't spend our lives looking back over our shoulders, but if I'd had three years doing the flute there. But it just didn't work out like that. And then when she came back, it was lovely, it was fine. And then I had to take a year out because I damaged my thumb. And that was another... Horrible thing. Oh dear. I think I got a little bit drunk at a party. Never. I shut the door. Oh, I don't drink that. <laughs> anyway, so I took a year out, but then after a year of long notes only with Avril, then we went on to scales in the second year, and then I did a Handel Sonata in the third year, took a year out, and then I got the diploma for the piano and the flute in the same year. Um, where was this going? You asked me a question, probably, and I am
1: very happy for you to continue. Yes. So
0: mm-hmm. I knew nothing because she was teaching me all the necessary techniques, hand position and pieces and getting my ombudsman. And vibrato, you were going to go on vibrato. So obviously, the poor woman, she never had time to teach me sort of things about vibrato. But I loved it. And I really can't understand how... Well, Clarinettists, for instance, don't use vibrato, mm. except Tara mentioned recently that she heard Primer, and I heard him playing at a school in Wick, um, South Croydon, yeah. Whitgift. And I remember thinking, that is absolutely beautiful. He didn't use it all the time, but he just used it to enhance the top of a phrase. Mm.
1: And I thought, why don't all clarinettists do that? <laughs> Do you know why, or is it just because it's true? I don't know. I must tell you a very funny story about Jack Brimer, though, before we go back to vibrato. Yes. I I was, for for about six, six, seven years, I played second flute in the LSO. We were playing at the, the, their concert, their home was the the Barbican. Oh, right. That's when they moved into the Barbican. And there was one night, I wasn't in the first piece, so I didn't, I didn't obviously didn't have to go onto onto the stage. And I was backstage hmm. talking to to Jack Brimer because he wasn't in the first piece either. Hmm. And then the first piece was about three minutes long, and I was chatting away. And I said to Jack, "This piece seems to be going on a a bit bit long. You know, I wonder what's happening." He said, "Oh well, I'm not in the second piece. <laughs> I'm a complete a complete panic." And ran to the stage door thinking, oh, my God, I should be on the stage. But luckily, the conductor hadn't gone back out again. The conductor had come off because he knew other players had to go on. But I hadn't noticed. Oh. I was the last one on stage. But I wondered why Jack was so relaxed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We've all got those stories.
1: Terrible, terrible.
0: So, vibrato. Vibrato. And this was fascinating to me. First of all, I must admit, Avril did talk to me a bit about it, but it seemed very... Such a bit of a drawn-out technique, all this bringing in the diaphragm, yeah. pushing out. I can't remember, but I got it all into perspective in at Canterbury, Ramsgate. Um, and it was just fascinating how easy it could be. In fact, I used to end up teaching my pupils just... If they were young, and I didn't want to go into all the technique of it because they get mm. bored quickly, just put their hand on the tummy and just pant. Exactly. It's coming from there, you know, mm. and so to keep everything quite mm. simple. And I just loved it. But I remember reading in my notes somewhere, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to find it in time. But look at this. 21st of July 87. Yeah. My birthday. <laughs> I've just I thought if one is aware of vibrato
1: listener in brackets, it is either unnecessary or too deep. Exactly. If you notice a the vibrato, yes. there's something wrong with it. Yes. You, if you don't notice it, it's because it's part of the, yes. the sound, part of the music. But I remember Trevor Wise
0: saying once, you've got to learn it mechanically before you can use, use it musically, mm.
1: which kind of made sense. It's a bit like learning to walk. If you try and explain how you walk, you walk like a robot. Yes. Until yes. you can just... That's a bit more natural with it. That's a very really good analogy. I think. Mm, yeah. And then mm. a bit something about
0: harmonics. I never knew what harmonics were. I thought they were talking about scales, harmonics, mm. and melodics, you know, yeah. until. yeah. And I just loved passing that sort of thing on because it's just so good for the ombre show. Yeah. I've probably read this in one of your books. <laughs> Incidentally, I've got a concert on Saturday and I thought, I've got to practice. A really good friend, young friend who's a conductor, he said, I've got a favour to ask you would you mind playing second flute in a concert locally? I said, no, and three or four years of not playing anything, you know. And mm. he said, it's second flute. And he said, you're only required for one piece. I said, <laughs> John, that's fantastic. So I got out your scale book
1: that you'd written in 2002 for the Academy oh. Requirements. It's, yes, it's, they still use my scale book. Brilliant. Oh, I just, I just don't know. I mean, I've never. Which whip? How high does it go to? Oh, it goes up to better. You'd written it for the first
0: years, and the second years, and the third years, but all in one book.
1: Yes. Third years and diploma. Yes, that's right. But it for the first time, but well, the first book went up to top C. C. Yes. And then Whip said that the no notes existed beyond top B, so I had to rewrite them so they only went up to B and B flat like Moyes. Webb said that yep. he didn't go up yep. to top C. He didn't want, didn't want anyone to play scales beyond top B. Did he think that top C didn't exist? No, he just thought that. Oh, it's a bit. Just thought that going up to C and C sharp were more destructive. I understood where he was coming yeah. from. Yes. And then he wanted an exercise which he then put in the back of the book that actually practised just.
0: Yes. The very yes. top. Yes. Um, but I remember learning top C sharp and D for the first time. And giving it to pupils like Jack Reddick. And then he he went off to the Royal Northern. No, he didn't, he went to the Academy. He
1: went to the Academy. So you taught him? No, I didn't teach him at the Academy. I couldn't. I I didn't get him on my list. I wanted him on my list. Oh. And and I missed out. Oh, you because missed out um, something special. Something special. Because you've always talked about him being yes. very special. Well then he
0: came back from oh he got into the NYO and then he'd come back from the course saying. I can play top E flat knee. Would you like me to show you? <laughs> and I thought, this is progress. It's yeah. just the way it works. Yeah. So he taught me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing. I think when you're teaching, the best teachers always learn. Oh, yes. You learn from your students as oh, much as they learn yes. from you. Absolutely. And not to be worried about learning something. No, absolutely. Not to be stuffy about it. Not to be stuffy. I mean, I, remember, I know my early years, I thought it was my position to know everything, yes. even when I didn't. Oh, yes. And it took me a while to realise that actually know that you can, you're going to be learning all your life Yes. and you can certainly learn from your students as much as from and anybody take else. Your
0: time, in a way. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yes. I think it's been a real privilege to have a,
0: a career in music. And it's just the joy of seeing another pupil, for instance, Emma Dinage who did a grade a year when she was at junior school. Yeah. She did fantastic things. She ended up doing general mm-hmm. sciences at Cambridge and she got into the Gilbert and Sullivan See? Society. And it was so nice to hear that she'd actually continued the flute playing. and um, and they've just been up, this, she went down to the Minack Theatre in Cornwall. They've been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival mm-hmm. and got rave reviews. And she was, I think she was the MD for that. So all that sort of thing is just so nice to, mm. to know.
1: Yeah. So tell me a bit more in detail about your teaching. Are there particular methods you could talk us through? Well, it
0: when I was working full-time for the Croydon Music Service, there were certain things that you had to stick to, depending what school you were at. Mm. So if I taught beginners, and I'd started off in year three on the fife, which a tara, bless her heart. What age was. are we talking? Oh, about? Oh, year four. The junior schools go up to grade uh, year, year six, six, so it would be about
1: nine, eight, nine, eight, nine, yes.
0: nine? Yes, yeah. Start off with a the fife and a tara, and I always used to have this little mm. gentle discussion about why not the recorder? And I said, mm. well, it's obvious to me, Atara, because you've got the embouchure set mm. up and it's, and it's a little bit harder to get a sound out of the mm. fire for got to use more airspeed. Yeah. And they went seamlessly onto the curved head joint flutes. And then we go on to group teaching because it was all to do with the funding and all the music services. Mm. And I don't know if you remember that, but mm. the only way that we could continue was to do four
1: in about half an hour, for instance. That's quite... Luxurious, because somebody wrote to me recently saying they had to have eleven or twelve in ten minutes or something ridiculous.
0: Oh, Mm. dreadful! I know. And there are certain rules and regulations that you could only teach. I think it's
1: something like three and twenty minutes or four and half Mm. an hour, roughly. But it just goes to show the the state of music provision in the UK at the moment yes, which yes. is so appalling oh, yes. and it's it's disappearing and courses at further education are, are disappearing as well so and it starts from the base the ground level oh, yes. which is back in primary schools and yes. the beginning of secondary school yes. which is where atar of course had so much influence yes. people have asked me what's your
0: favorite tutor book and it's come down to abracadabra mm-hmm and there's something about the book. It's the nice layout, not too much information. Mm. The children like the tunes. Yeah. But I do think sometimes, and you might agree with this, that why don't we start children off fingering a middle
1: D? Carolyn, have you ever seen my beginning book? Oh, Claire, don't. don't. Kickstart Flute starts on middle D. Oh, sorry. <laughs> when did you bring this book out? During COVID. Oh, well, because I'm not teaching no. them anymore because it's, it's based on, I had 24 duets written by Andy Scott that we commissioned, and it's all world music, and you can play along with me on the recording. You can play the first or the second flute part, or you can have play with your teacher, and it's with backing group, and it starts on middle D. Mind you, I semi-retired a year ago this summer.
0: Mm, quite Sad about it because I miss all the you know the camaraderie, the camaraderie, yeah. But it's where Jack Reddick went.
1: Um, I agree. So, in those days, yeah, everyone starts on start, you yeah. learn A or B and G, and then what's the right hand doing? You know, yeah. sort of flapping around,
0: and at least you say keep your little finger on. That's another thing, Claire, that I've inherited. So many pupils that have been taught not the correct way mm. because if they come from a certain prep school, which shall be nameless, mm. they come in and I say. Have a quick chat. Can you play me a scale? D um, major or even F major. And I'm looking at the little finger and it breaks my heart because one little boy had actually got to grade five or mm. grade five standard and he wanted to do grade six, desperate to do grade six. or oh, his mum was desperate for him to do it. And I said, oh, I had to break into bad news then that if you can get this little finger sorted out, you uh, might be able to. But um, if you imagine teaching them... To go from D to E, that all that muscle training—they mm. haven't had any of
1: it—and I think it's immoral.
0: Actually, the
1: thing is, we've come—we, you, and I've come through an era where there was very little good teaching. There are a lot of not such good techniques, mm. and mm. then when they come to a good teacher, it takes such a long time mm. to sort of retrain. It's just—it's just, and it's just how it is to do it yeah that's okay they need to accept your way of teaching and yes. and trust you yes in order that's to do it yeah. you know there's so many people turn up at college auditions who haven't got the basic technique and they haven't the teachers just told them you know how wonderful they are yeah and then they come and audition and you know you have to say that the majority of people who come and audition at college Nowhere near the mark, nowhere near the level. A friend of
0: mine had a reason for that or suggested it could be that a lot of the teachers that have taken on music centres or music, call a music service, for example, they weren't necessarily from um, conservatoires, they were Mm. from university. Well, I don't know whether, well, because at university, I don't know whether they had many lessons a term. At least the lessons at Conservatoire were guaranteed and they were all good teachers, but
1: that was back in the day, really. Mm. I don't think it matters about the institution. It matters on who you've got the information from. That's true, yes. Um, and and it, yes. it's that that's what it's, it's based on. Yes. Um, it takes a long time to get out of the habits, far longer than it takes I know. to get in them. It's very, very sad. Yeah.
0: I had one pupil that had... Uh, been started off by a bassoon player. Uh And in one of the Abracadabra books, you know, low C sharp, they'd left out the colouring in of the two notes together. So she was fingering bottom C like that without putting the low C sharp key down. Right. You have to explain that to our listeners, what you're doing. Well, the thing is, she'd learnt that incorrectly, but to do what she was doing was pretty clever, actually, to get to low C like that, but... In so doing, her hand was lifted up, her arm had to lift up, and her shoulder was lifted up, and her embouchure ended up being crooked. Wonky.
1: I wish oh, the yes. listeners could see. They're seeing you now, Karen, because then they'd understand what you're going on about. <laughs> oh, uh, I suffice it was to say, said, it, was, it, was, it was wrong. It was right. <laughs> <laughs> suffice it to say,
0: some flute players that are listening might understand what they're talking about. That's complicated and it's to, in itself to go from low C to slide up to a note. Yeah. But when you're fingering low C in
1: the first place wrong, yeah. it's even more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't of course, sense? It, it creates so many problems in terms of, of, of muscle strain and um, I know. plastic it's strain injury, injury and all those sorts of things. Now, there's a case of that particular pupil.
0: She was... So she did have a few tears when she realised that she had to correct a lot of things from the head, the embouchure, mm. the arm, the fingers. But she has ended up with rather a nice job after all these years as principal flute in English National Opera. Well, there you go. But that's another <coughs> sad thing to discuss, isn't it,
1: with the grants and the cuts. Those of you who who don't live in the UK, um, there's a lot of problems at the moment with funding for our musical institutions. English National Opera, which is based in London, is losing a lot of its grant, and it's being relocated to the north of the country, where there's already an opera company. Yes, and there's another uh, well-known orchestra called the Britain Sinfonia oh. that have lost all their funding, oh, um, with nothing else coming in. So, as I said, it's music is not being supported here in the UK. It's a really difficult time, and I know lots of countries are suffering financials. A lot of financial woes going on around the world yeah but you know during covid the thing that kept people going more than anything was music goodness yes so you know and, and i don't think a lot of people realize if they didn't have their music they would lose the one thing that gives them some happiness yes. and keeps <clears throat> keeps them going yeah but someone's got to make that music and someone to make that music has got to learn the music mm. and so it's we've got to go back to grassroots and try and Sort it out. Sort it out and get more people playing. But it's Um, so
0: sad, Claire, with the Britain Symphonia with Nicholas Daniel, who started it, and he's one of the world-famous...
1: Oberists, really. Yep.
0: And he's working so hard to keep the funding. He's ticking all the right boxes. They've done wonderful outreach things and...
1: And also, it provides a service in the east of England... Where they don't really have anything. Absolutely, um, and of course, the west end of England in Cornwall mm. suffer as well. They don't have much going on. No. So there's there are big struggles which have come from the woes of the world at the moment. Of
0: course, but
1: yes. I think we've all got to do our bit to try and keep music in people's ears. Yes, and um, it's very and, hard, you know,
0: with the Arts Council and various governments. I don't know which government has ever. Totally supported the arts.
1: I think Germany does very well. Uh, we, should, we should all move to Germany.
0: That, that is a very good idea.
1: Yes. <laughs> anyway, listen, Carolyn, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. And okay. congratulations you. on the most wonderful teaching career. Oh, thank um, you. One of the very, very best. Thank and you. your students have been so lucky to have had you as a teacher. And there are so many principal flute players. And others who are doing great service to the, to music, mm. who've been your students, so well done. Thank you Congratulations. very much. And I feel the same about you and your playing.
0: And Thank you. I followed great. your career closely, oh. and then we became friends. And yeah, I'm almost a different generation to you. Remember, so almost it's been an honour to oh, to do this. It's lovely. It's made me think about when you asked me for a biography. It made
1: me think. <laughs> it makes you think, doesn't it? it? Really does. So it's it's been great. Go and, go and check out my kickstart flute, starting on middle D. That's brilliant, yeah. great mind-singer line. Single line. Yeah. If there are any comments or observations from our listeners, you can contact us on our Facebook page, Talking Flutes, or on social, Instagram and Twitter, at flute and at Claire Flute, or email us at flutepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com. But for now, thanks for coming down, Carolyn. It's been lovely to see you. Thank you very much. It's been a privilege. True. Bye. (laughs)